On Monday, I went into the school and all was there and all the teachers and I said, I'm going to climb the highest mountain in the world. And everybody who bought the dog laughed at me, going, ah, what's the boy from Mary Barcroft ever going to, you get nowhere. And even the teacher going, at least you've got a good imagination, Bannon. I never felt alone once when I was on the mountain, even in the darkest hours. And I just felt, you know, on me, you know, I remember looking around, Please. the goggles and all, and the thing, and the 31st of May, I was the last person on the mountain, number one, the highest person in the world at that time. <laughs> and I looked over at the Tibetan plateau, and I could see the, the curvature of the world, and I thought it was a myth. That, my friend, is Banjo Bannon, and this is the Inspirational Runners Podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Robbie Marsh, and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. This is part two of Banjo Bannon, Everest, the Open Graveyard. So if you haven't already, make sure you listen to part one first, which can be found on podcast number 48. This truly is a compelling story of being left behind, rising up against all odds, and realising the dream. No matter how the fairy tale appeals, nothing worthwhile in life comes easy. The picture on the front of the book may draw a dreamlike lifestyle, but as we all know too well, the chapters inside quite often read a different story. I know this is something different than our usual features, so I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. But before we start, I'd just like to give our sponsors, Born to Run, a shout out. The next race of the Winter Series is in Antrim Castle's Garden on the 2nd of February. This is race 7 of 8. It's a beautiful course, so hope to see you all there. With great pleasure, I give you Banjo Bannon. When I had come back down, they had their wee meeting, and then Jim McGinnis and things says, "Look, Banjo, you the the uh, on the fifth, uh, what was it, the eighteenth or nineteenth of May? There's going to be a lull. A lot of people are going to make a move, and you're not going to be on the team." Mike's going. Why talking about Richard now? Trying to put on a brave face. He's like, I know what you're saying and all. But you're not, you're not acclimatising, something might happen to you and, you know, all the right reasons. So, they, uh, so Rich is like, me and Davey's going to go for the summit and he's coming too. That's it, we're going to, and, you know, that's it, you can stay here and whatever happens, happens. But that's, we're going for the summit. And I says, well, what happens? Well, uh, if the way I come in, you can have your own go. But I knew that they were going to split and I'd have mm. to split with them. So I was devastated. I remember going, fuck me, and just going back to my tent, deflated, yeah. felt like shit. So you've been there like five weeks as well. Yeah, five, six weeks like now. Six, six weeks. weeks. Totally frustrated there and demoralised and all the rest. So the, the, I give the boys a hug, bar McGinnis, and wish the boys all the best and if they're safe and all. And, and I was talking to um, Dave Pierce. And he was going, he was their push. So out of the Royal Marine Command, there was, was 11 of them that had four Sherpas. Dave Pierce is Bear Grylls, right? Hand. You know, Bear, yeah. the camera, he looks after him. So I think see Bear Grylls, Dave Pierce is the safety rope or rope safety man. But he's, he's the main man. He's looking after the cameraman and Grylls at the same mm. time. And hey, this is before. So me and him got on really well, you know. And he says, I'm going to go for the summit here. Boys are going to be a big push because 
I think the RAF and the Army and all different ones, but the Royal Marine Command have never done it together as a team or something. And Blue Peter was running the show, and I wanted the Blue Peter badge. That's all I fucking. You're not getting the fucking Blue Peter badge. Let's get this up. And uh, so they were all gone up, and what happened was the weather was really, really cold. And cut a long story short, I was listening to the radio the nights that they were up, and the weather came in, came shitty. Two boys got past the second step, but it got that cold and the wind came in that they retreated back and they ended up getting frostbite in their fingers and toes. Frost nip, first of all. Yeah. Fingers and toes. Will you come up to camp too? There's a serious situation. The boys can't fucking nab off ropes. Right, dead on. At that stage then, I forgot about the altitude. And you know, yeah. so through the night, I went from, from base camp, the advanced base camp in a day, and then... Up to the North Colony, and the next day to the second summit. Then I met a few of the. Did you feel your mind had switched then? Because oh, it switched help. because you're in the you know rescue mode. Yeah. And got the camp too. Set up the tent, and as I was setting up the tent, the boys were still up in camp three, and they're staying the night, and then they come down. But a serious situation happened where a guy. From the second step, a Swiss or a German guy pushed one of an English lad down and he broke his femur. Jesus. So the the Royal Marine boys already had your boy on the summit, the two Shermans, and he was coming down. They were happy enough. And now there was a rescue moment. So they actually, that's why somebody says to me, why did you do a big thing in the Irish Times about Davy Sherman? He says, because this rescue happened when I'd seen it so the boys, the English lad says, look, will you just give us, say, 2,000 metres of a hand down? And, you know, or no, 500 metres it was, or 1,000 metres. And he says, right, I'll give you 1,000 metres of help. He says, there's this lad, he's broken his femur at the second step, and we're going to pull him down. And if you do your bit, and our bit, and our wee bit, we can lower him all down in ropes. And I says, dead on. So I got the camp too. And as I was waiting, there was a Swiss guy there. And I get into the tent waiting for the boys coming down with this injured boy. This Swiss boy didn't move for a whole hour. What the fuck? And it was an awful effort to get boots on, get the gear. Mm. So I was shouting, hello, are you okay? Are you okay? Hello. And he wouldn't answer. Got the boots. and was out. Shuffle over them. You okay? Leave me alone. <laughs> he was this Swiss climber, top climber apparently. He couldn't get the summit and he was there to fucking die there and I went, what? I want to die, leave me alone. And I went, what are you talking about? And then, so he wasn't listening to me and I was getting a bit frustrated. I went, listen to me. It's like shooting a wee dog down the road. Just, this mountain's not worth a fingernail. Who cares about it? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because people already got to the summit and he couldn't make it and yeah. he's turned around. I can't go back to Switzerland in, in Switzerland. And I went, of course you can. Have you any family? Yeah. And show me your family. And he had the wee thing. And he had the, this boy was maybe 16. So he's showing me his own children and his grandchildren. That's what you're living for. So, no, I want to stay here. So I, I had him a fucking slap. I went, no, I, I went to walk him in and went, and then he looked at me, what are you doing? I says, you're not going to fucking die in front of me. Get the fuck down this mountain now, or I'm going to fucking pull you down it. And he looked at me, what? And he started crying, 
why? And he started shouting back in German or something. I didn't give up. I just, I'm telling you now, I'm fucking kicked him in my crampons. And he was like, yes. <laughs> I went, get the fuck down the mountain now. I'm not having this fucking shit. I'm fucking tired and cold. And I ain't going to fucking die because I'm trying to fucking sort you right. But I'm holding on the rope at this stage back and forth, trying to push him down, I guess. <laughs> and then he shouts up, you're fucking crazy. I went, yes, I am. Now fuck off. So... They come round and then he, and then I see him going down, down, down. I went, thank fuck for that. It's like, Tron, get to your bed. Like. Oh, that's and epic. So that was a, a wee side note. Then, boys come down, I did my wee bit of lowering, lowered for fucking six, seven hundred metres on my ropes. You know, I had a few uh, ropes, lowered this guy down, then with somebody else in the orbit, and he lowered him down. And they got him down. So it could be done. A rescue could be done. It was coordinated. And there's plenty of people on the mountain. And everybody working together. And that's Good. and everybody did their wee small bit. That was it. So as they went down, I met the boys and I had to hold the rope. So when you're absent, you clip somebody under the absent and screw the screw gates in. You can go down the fixed line and it's loose. So you tell the boys to walk back and you can control the abseil then. Mm. You know, they don't have to abseil. You just let it go and they walk back and pull it tight. You can't go anywhere. And that's what I did for a few rounds until the boys sort of came around and they sort of grabbed bits and pieces. They got the advanced base camp. We all went to base camp. And at that stage, I photographed of us. I got the air down and had lukewarm water yeah. and sorting out things. I said, boys, you have to go straight to Kathmandu or else you start losing fingers and toes. And they managed to save their, fi- their fingers and all, but Davy Sharp ended up coming back and he lost three toes or something like that in the part of the finger. But that was them, that was their way. See, when I got the base camp, I felt epic. It must have just been pure adrenaline. Was pure adrenaline. I got in and the boys got in Land Rovers and the boys come ready to come nice as no lads. I'm going to shake your hands now. I'm going to see you back. And the boy's saying, what are you doing? I went over to the Australian Air Force, sir. Just talking to Australians. There's weather coming in on around the 30th, 31st of May. And it's going to be no precipitation. That means no snow and light winds. I'm going for the summit. And the boy's saying, no, you're not. I says, I'm fucking going. Three days, I'm going for the summit. So I'm going to wish you all the best. And Davey's, and then your boy McGinnis turned around and says, sure, I'll stay away. And at that stage, I was going, <laughs> yeah, dead on. And he says, no, 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 you seem to be strong there, that was good, and blah, blah, blah. And, and he went, right, thinking that we're going to be a team. See, the worst is, if I thought there was dog stuck in a wee ditch, yeah. I would stop and help it. And I knew he wouldn't. And I knew that in the back of my head, but I still agreed with him, I'll go with you. The boys went on home, few days later, 27th, 28th, I made a move up the advanced base camp, fell for it. Base camp did, um, to camp one, camp one to camp two, and then I was in two days. So a ready in the session, camp two, feeling hyper. Then McGinnis had come in and, oh, you're fair going now. I says, this is the fucking man. This is going to be a great team, blah, blah, blah. So next day, Got there, left early, up to camp three, got the tent out. And it takes a while to clear the tent, but they had no oxygen then. Yeah. 8,200 metres, no oxygen. First time ever above 8,000 metres. And bit scared and all the rest, but as I was going up, everybody's going down, Sharper saying, no, no, look, 
everybody's coming down. And I said, no, no, we're going to go for it because two days at, two days from the 31st, there's a huge storm coming in. Right. It's called the monsoon season then. And then when it monsoon, the snow comes in, you can't leave the valley. Just swamps in. There's a big walk out then. No, and 4x4s can get down. I said, no, up and down. That's it. And people said, sure, yeah, yeah. So we passed loads of people and all. And there was three more expeditions. There was the first at South African that wanted to do it, and he had four Sherpas. There was a Japanese woman, paid. She had climbed all these mountains, but she still had four Sherpas. And, but they were away on at camp two. They were going to leave from like an intermediate camp two. And then I said, and that was it. So I remember getting up and getting excited. I couldn't really sleep, and he was on the blower all the time. Locked out. It was one of them dark nights. It was it was a new moon and not a breeze. But I don't fuck, I feel good, boy. And I was talking against him against wow. thing. So I remember trying to put the head down. Then getting up about going to bed around about say three o'clock during the day. And it was still bright, and then it was dark about six seven. But you can hardly sleep with the excitement and fear, you know. And then getting up, and I went out and scooped and got a bit of ice and melted him and gave him a hot liter of water and soup and all and then I made soup for myself and then he had left and I thought he was getting the gear next minute I was saying here Jamie throw me in my rucksack no sign of gas no nothing I looked up I'm looking around and I thought the fella had slipped and failed but that's what happens somebody goes for a dump or you know for yeah. thing you can actually slip a lot of people are killed that way people don't want to admit it so not a nice way to go but you're not holding on to but you're at the side like out there at camp three it's not flat yeah. you know you've put like the rocks like the or the tents i got and i've um Steep do, yeah i i've put in um round big heavy rocks you know anchors so it wouldn't slip off um so at that stage i thought yeah, something might happen but then i noticed a load of head torches and one head torch by itself is that come against well i should and I heard nothing back and I throwing stones and all of that. I remember going back going, right, that's it, that's the end of my Everest expedition. I can do this. I soloed in nineteen ninety three, what I didn't tell you was when I came back from disappointed to Kathmandu, I went straight out and climbed solo a place called Anxi Pig. It's called Island Pig and I soloed at North Face by myself, 21,500 feet. See, I went to do it in 2007, didn't realise how technical it was. I did it by myself. So I knew, I can, I can you know, a bad, bad time got yeah. me up that one, bad time will get me up Everest. I went right this then. Sorry, I'm not going to be naive now. And I remember getting this gear. And I remember, and there was two auction buttons left over that the boys had. At that stage, I didn't know if they were empty or not. And I remember putting one away, cranking it open, open. Yeah, I'm Craig no open. Connecting it. It was a Russian ma uh, Chinese mass, but two Russian um auction cylinders. So the feed thread wasn't standard and was hissing I didn't give near not, yeah, that'll do. Seeing as I sucked in there. Who am I? <laughs> you you become a different person. Instead of me walking on the moon every yeah. in slow motion. Because you're up there in slow motion, it's not yes, like it's every no in air. slow motion. And you're walking and you're resting. And I swear to God it's like changed me. I went, oh my god, I know who I know my name. And I remember a thing up that 
rucksack on with a wee bit heavy because you have two cylinders in your bag and a wee bit of food and the, and the water. I hardly ate because I was too excited and the water that I had was only lukewarm. It should have been boiling. You can't boil at that temperature, you know, so it was only lukewarm and I knew it would probably freeze. So I tried to get as much liquid in me as possible and now I just went. And of course, when I get out, get all this in, like, if you get it yourself, I didn't realise McGuinness went out left to go onto the ridge and then see this northeast ridge, north ridge. And of course, um, or the north ridge, northeast ridge. I saw the lights and I went straight. So they're about two, three hours ahead of me. So I went straight across the scale and straight up onto the rocks and it's near the Japanese cooler. And I remember going halfway up going, McGuinness told me he's not a technical climber. I knew that from the start. That's why... He wanted me on the team yeah. to do this first step and second step. There's three steps. First step, second step, three, third step on the tackling end of things. And I went and where out of my leg here. But it was the north face was just black and the wind was blowing up and it was just fucking haunting me. Like and I was going, Don't look down bad, just keep moving up. And I remember getting the ledge and jumping on this ledge and there's like a mantle shelf, you know mantle shelves this here. Yeah. I remember getting up onto it because I had the full stretch. I'm not all, I'm only five eight. I remember I did stretch. I went, maybe he's six foot two. He could probably just, so he could have done this maybe. But see, when I mantle shelf myself on and try to get up with the two cylinders in the back, it's very hard to lift, trying to get a handhold and a big gloves on. I remember taking off the big gloves and then the second set of gloves and getting myself up and going, I looked across and I could just see dark rock and then a big the ice thing you know the japanese crew we're on the north face i'm too far and he could never get this far because he said he, he he's not good at technical ground i went oh, i'm gonna have to down climb this and i remember going down and saying maybe i should stay here until sunlight comes and I went no keep moving i'm all right and i remember going down and then so i had my big mitts on took them off getting up and then my gloves, and then I remember pulling the gloves off, and there were the gloves that you could pull down. There was finger and gripping. They got there, and I went like that, and then they got, and then I was at full stretch, and I had feelings of me just doing a full back, you know, the full yeah. weight, all the way down that north face, boy. And I remember pure panic. You know the way that you get the the sewn uh, the sewn machine feet, and I, everything was shaking. And it was minus, say, 30. And I could feel the salt get into my eyes from my goggles. And I've got the oxygen. I'm talking to myself, you know. I can do this. I remember full stretch and there was nothing there. You know the way I'm... And then I realised that I sort of come out to the right. So I remember reaching away as far... It was pure panic at this stage. It was a too good hand grip. And then I felt my sort of... The crampons get into a wee bit of space around me there. I remember reaching across, across and then I managed to get my hand on something. Right, here we go. One, two, three. Make a move, make a move. I can do this. And then I, do, and I was hemming the hand. I'm going to have to. I won't go with the strength. You know, the hang on. And then I remember moving across that wee bit more. And moving down and grabbing the big jug and then coming down. That's an omen. That's it. I should stop. And then when I got the move round a fancy, my head torch went. I went, there's two Jesus. things. Near getting lost. On a big mantle shelf, and now my torch gone. There's three things. Things are done in three. You know what I mean? You're not thinking, probably. 
And then I realised my ma had actually given me this new thing called an LED light. It's a wee small digi thing that I got in one of them wee stores. That small, you know the wee small lights yeah. that come out then? Brand new thing called LED. And I remember taking off my rucksack, taking my head torch and a duct tape on my eye sack and putting the duct tape around it so I could fit it back on my head again. Went boom and I lit up that much. <laughs> That's me. And then I remember going a wee bit more to the left, shimmying across, grabbing a few ropes. And I knew that they weren't new. I went, they'll have to do like a sort of hand, ice, hand, ice axe in a wee bit. Of, and everything was frozen, which was great. Now it was shaly, so shimmying across. And then I heard, you know, I could hear, and that's the first time I saw a dead body. And it was like, it was sort of, on the mountain sort of sideways and ropes you know sort of swinging we bit of a panic there don't even think so that's not going to happen to me yeah the past yeah or recent oh passing yeah yeah just froze so. frozen in and tangled up ropes passing it didn't why you know the way oh you should have stopped now forget about that <laughs> keep moving moved all the way down and clove and then i saw a set of boots and i went mcginnis is laying down that way and clove and it's the only place in the whole ridge line where you can get out of the wind, you know? And it's green boots. But I thought it was McGuinness at the start, because I thought, you know, maybe killed over. And of course, I put my hand out, and you see these two white eyes. And it took me back to. There was a show away in the 70s about zombies or something, and white eyes. And, you know, it caught your mind conscious a lot of images, and there's just lack of oxygen. Obviously, I was. And I could have sworn it moved then. I started imagining it was moving and then I was going, this is this Indian climber, it's called Green Boots. Oh, I heard of this guy before and he was in there. But I remember it's a great spot to get in, to get a drink. And I remember taking the masks off and it's drinking and eating a bit of a bit of chocolate or something like that there. And, you know, my mouth was all dry because you're sucking in that yeah. always and all. And look, and I could have sworn the thing's moving. I go, gosh, moving. You know, and then... He was dead, was he? Well, he's dead, surely. He's but just... I had it in the head that he started turning around, I guess, here. And, you know, and I didn't want to look back. And then the wind was blowing. And I'm not looking back. It's like something came in my head. Um, near enough biblical thing about not to look back. He'd be turning into a pillar of salt or something. I remember, I'm not looking behind me. Because as if there was these demons behind me. You know, this... It was the wind at this stage that wasn't coming up, it was coming mm. from the side. I'm not looking back. And then that within a couple of minutes I had felt God kind of buried because the fear went in me because it went straight on to the ridge line and the ridge was, you know, offset and there was no fixed rope, but I could see rope in the distance where it was and I was sort of shimmying across it and the side sort of um average part of it is granite and then the next part is limestone and it was but you know, shitty, yeah, yeah. gritty stuff. And it started to heat up. And then the big thing for me was the sun was coming up. And a boy called Harry Hobbler, he was one of the top Swiss climbers, had said to me, you need to have a time cut off. At six o'clock, you must be above the second step. And I was not, it was six o'clock. And the second, and the sun was hitting it. And McGinnis was at the top of it. And I was going, you're a balloon. Shouting at me, couldn't hear me. <laughs> then at this stage, then we had four sherpas in front of me. 
and a wee Japanese woman. And the wee Japanese woman wouldn't, you know, I was waiting and waiting. And I remember going, Harry Hobbler says, lose one of the cylinders. So I remember cylinder hat on, took it off, left it in the crevice. And it says, well, there must be a wee bit left in that. And the way back, if I need it, I can get it. And I'll crank up a new one. Unknown to me, it was half used. But I didn't know it. You know the way you grab it? Put it up, there's five settings, one, two, three. So I switched on the five because I'm going to need all this to get up over the first hurdle. And then there's the Chinese, like a ladder, aluminium ladder that you climb to get over the second step. And this is where Mallory and Irvine was mm. wrecking fell. So it was really, you know, this is the place. Like, and you can see how technical it could have been. Um, and this wee woman wasn't moving. And... 10 minutes is gone, 10 minutes is like a lifetime going. <sighs> and I'm shouting at the sharpest at this stage again, you must move and all. No, 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 no. And they wouldn't let me get round. And I went, <sighs> calm down. Ice axe, up, start. <clears throat> oh, what are you doing? You must move. No, 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 no. We, we miss such and such and all. Like, lady, lady, no. No, no, listen. She's there 10 minutes. And this day, it's just two of them pulling her and the other two pushing her. And this is the first of the commercial thing. This yeah. is when I'd seen it up front. I know what's going on here. This wee woman couldn't even pull herself up on the climb. And I went, she shouldn't be here at this stage again. So they wouldn't get out of the road. And of course, I unclipped from all the ropes, got the one side, put my egg sacks in between my rucksack. Grabbed hand over hand, climbed, and there was only a space left. And I remember putting my foot with a crampon on one of the sharpest shoulders. And I'm going, ah! and I'm like, get off! <laughs> and the ball's gone, like shouting. And next minute, they all sort when they got me, I remember. And so they, they gave me that space there. But then for me to go to guess here, I'd have to take a big rest. So I was resting, and they're all waiting on me. <sighs> So, uh, big push, big push, I have to push myself down because they're all sort of yeah. set aside and your woman. And I get to the top. At this stage, I knew there was something wrong with the eye. I, like, it was not giving me the... So I remember slow. pulling the, and sucking in and saying, you know, telling the sharpest thing, she's never going to make it. It's now near enough um, half six. Turn around times six to be at the top. I'm running late here too, myself. She's, it's not good, like, and then, oh, we must, we, we, we need money, and him trying to explain yeah. to me, whispering, she, we, and I, you're all going to die, I'm waiting on her, like, and I, I pushed on, up, up and over I went, and then I got up on the, I mean, I remember, and that back clipping him, these boys are looking at me, thinking, oh, and the only thing is, it's not straight, it's been distorted with the wind now. So it's climbing it sideways with cramp. Fucking nightmare. This whole, and it was moving like fucking away from the side of the mountain. Oh, it was madness. I remember just, just go for it. Just keep going. Keep going. And you know the way, it was like, I used to do the box, remember? One, two, three, four. Come on, Badger. One, two, three, four. Rest. One, two, three, four, right. That's how I got myself around, you know, the even walking, but one, two, three, four. I would always do the ten, then rest for ten, then go for ten. So, well, just push yourself on, push yourself on. Calm, 
But save your all ten. Calm again. Go, 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 go. And get over the top. Remember getting the top of it on the ledge. <laughs> like the fish out of water, you know, real sucking in. Couldn't get head was in and out like that. And I'm going, you know, trying to suck as much oats between the air around me. And I was going, maybe I should be sucking it in, but I couldn't feel that. Yeah. Oh, fucking just torture. So after five, ten minutes, you have to keep moving. Where it's like dragging yourself up, keep throwing the head forward and meant to move. And I saw in the distance there was three more Sherpas and a, the thing it was a South African lad, and they were going, I can't push. And they were at the third step. And when I saw a Stell Fox slideshow, it was all iced over. But because it was high winds, it was all rocky. So it made right. it more technical. You know, for, so we're scrambling over that door, cat, you know, and scraping off the glass. Uh, clambered round it, but they didn't want to keep on the road, so I had to keep moving fast. And I remember getting on the last ridge line. I remember it went from like minus 30 to, must be plus 20. I had my down seat, you know, the down yeah. windsuit stripped down. I had my down jacket pulled down over it and left, you know, you leave a wee bit of about two inches of sip still on, but it stripped down. My fleece how, was how, pulled down. How did the temperature raise that? Just because sun? I was, uh, yeah, because the darkness. I was in the oh, north right, side okay. and the sun had come up on the, from the east and it was hitting the ridge line. So when I went round that corner and the sun hit me, just, right. just it was like somebody switched the, the sun on. I remember <laughs> stripping everything down. So it was down my, near enough my second, you know, medium layer. Yeah. And the sweat pouring off. And it just gave me enough time to come around because I was actually sweating in it. And then, obviously, once I went round the corner again, it was on with the down jacket again. Windsuit and it was cold again. And then I remember just taking the whole windsuit, the whole lot off and then putting it away, realising I'd be better off just in this, but I'm all right. And round the corner, and lo and behold, there's McGinnis and he's holding his face. He's got blood everywhere, you know, he's... The altitude had busted his nose or something, and and he was going, "You actually made it! I didn't think you'd go." <laughs> and I said, "Why did you leave me?" She said, "I didn't think you would make it," and that's why I Jeez. went on. And I says, "There was a wee dog. You know I would help you. I know for a fact you wouldn't help me if I was in trouble." He looked at me, and I went, "Just give me a satellite phone." I told everybody you got the summit. I says, "No, he said, give me a satellite phone." I says, I'm going to have an argument with this guy near on the summit of Mount Everest and um, me and you are going to have a fight. Are you for real? Give me the satellite phone. He wasn't going to give me uh, But I ain't got, give me the satellite phone because I want to ring my mum. I want to tell everybody at home that I'm say, they've made the summit. Like, this is a big thing. Like. And he was rocking me. And I says, I'm telling you now. See when we get down. Me and you are having a fight. <laughs> and he looked at me and went, What? I says, I may be five foot nothing, but I tell you now, I'm going to bounce you around the place. I can't wait. I went, there's the satellite phone. I says, I'm telling you now, you see the way you put me down? We're going to have words. <laughs> and I remember the last thing was, but we are a team. You know, right. and that was it. And I remember then passing, the South Africans had come from the summit. And I could see it, and it was just that last wee bit onto the ridge line going, this said, "Am I? It's the first time then I felt I'm actually going to do this. I'm actually 
going to do this and you know the way you felt you know yeah. but it wasn't sure until the, and I, I was sure in the head that morning I'm definitely going to make the song but this is so it really this is like... the surreal meeting the rail this is happening now I remember making that last curve and it's only from here to that door but I knew it's now 15 minutes away because, but it's that <laughs> yeah it's like the snail and they go yes but I'm going to make it yes but I'm going to make it so it was that slow process going and it's just that anticipation and then when I got the summit it's like yes but there's nobody there to go Ooh, big hugs running and it's just and it was definitely uh, spiritual and things because even though I was alone, I looked back and everybody had gone at that stage. I didn't feel alone, but I felt inside family and friends and there's yeah. that sick sang. Like I never felt alone once when I was on the mountain, even in the darkest hours. And I just felt, you know, amazed. You know, I remember looking around Complete. the goggles and all and the thing. And first thing you do is, I had. A boy called Mooney, he's a fella from Bombridge and he's a photographer and he gave me a thing called a digital camera. It's the first time I ever heard a thing called a digital camera but it wouldn't work because the batteries had froze. So I remember taking it out and trying to warm them but in the meantime he told me to get a Fuji throwaway, five quid Fuji throwaways. Yes. I had two of them. So see, no photograph, no summit. And I went, right, how am I going to get it? So the digital camera plus two act. The more other thing that you carry is the two heavy throwaway. There's no batteries in it. Boy saying, no matter what, you just have to roll it and click. It'll yeah. go. So I remember click, 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 click in the photographs, I guess. For selfie. All <laughs> selfies. You know, it was like, yeah. I'm doing this. And that was the most, uh, the big thing is, it was in the back of my head. If I don't take a photograph, something happens to me. Nobody's gonna. You can tell people, yeah. not believe it. They want to see the proof. That's all they were saying. If we don't see the proof. Forget about it. Everybody's down to it. That's it. I'm right. Took the photographs. I remember getting it together, and I remember standing there and going, "Holy fuck!" It's the first time I took the goggles off. I took the mask away. It was at that stage, I raised the my the oxygen's fucking gone. There was nothing. You know that? Shh, 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 nothing. Hang on, for fuck's sake. And I remember looking around and it's the first time you could see. I looked up and it's furry spurs of the thing. The dark to the really dark blue to the light. It get, the blues get thin. Yeah. But you can see in the space. It's that like, was fair as well. Yes. And that was fucking scary. And I realised the 31st of May, I was the last person on the mountain, number one. The highest person in the world at that time. <laughs> and I looked over at the Tibetan plateau and I could see the, the curvature of the world. And I thought that was a myth. And I'm looking, I'm going, the world's fucking right. That's that myth sort of out. I could actually see, because there wasn't a cloud in the sky. It was 8 o'clock in the morning. There wasn't even a cumulus cloud. It was not, and it was just that dark, wow. then really dark blue. So you have dark, then dark blue, and then light blue. And then way out in the distance, you could see the Tibetan Plateau. And then all the other big mountains around you. Um, and you could just see a way in that that you know the round and I'm going holy fuck I hope I can get this on the yeah. camera you know because people went to Everest and people and they couldn't see two foot in front of them when they took photographs they could see the summit you know there's a poster it's a, like a 
an aluminium flag of the Nepalese flag and stuff like that, and there's prayer flags around it and all, and that's how you can identify it yeah. or the kernel. But see that whole three sixty eight I should choose the slide shows. Amazing. And I remember looking back and going, fuck, this is great. And I remember getting up and walking down fifty feet on the south side to look down the Hillary step besides says, and that come back and you know the way it's in your head. And if I have to I can say that I looked to see what the south side was like. Brilliant. So I thought I'd spend five minutes, but I actually spent an hour on the summit. Jeez. And that's the danger. Because I remember yeah. I was listening to radio pods and I went, how long do you spend? Only five minutes. But then I, I couldn't spend five minutes. Mm. Because to do all that there, that takes an hour at least. Because I remember looking down at the Helvig staff going, fuck, that's a lot sharper. Like, like thinking of him coming up then and thinking of Mallory and Hillary in 1927 or whatever it was, wow. going, they were the fucking men. Um, and then my the debate in my head is funny. You're going down, and the debate in my head is maybe they could have done it, because Mallory. When I went to the Alps, have you ever been to the Alps? No. Chamonix. No. You look at Chamonix and you look up. Going in August. <laughs> right. You look up at Chamonix and you'll see the midi. The midi's a big pinnacle sticking out, and at the top there's a restaurant and yeah, they've got I a huge it. big thing. They've got like a glass cage. Right. Well, you look at that. Well, the Mallory or the the Mallory ridges are. He did that after the war, nineteen fucking seventeen or eighteen. Hobnail boots and an old hickory Jeez. fucking ice axe, and that's technically I've done that. Wow. So for him to do that, then he could fucking he could have done the second step. He could have taken off his shoes and claimed that you know we're out the hobnail and that's the type of stuff that he would have done because he was practical and pragmatic and he would be a problem solver so Irvine would have been the one holding the road and Mallory would have been the one fucking thing so maybe the, on the way down they might have fucking fallen because when they found Mallory's body it was down where he would have fallen from the second step and it all makes fucking plausible yeah. so when I was there I was remember going fuck that's all it's all plausible, you know. It's all deep history, though, isn't it, of the night? Yeah, yeah, and you'd go... Like, but for them to do that, even in the 18th century, young husband, actually, they go in that way. Like, for them to walk for months with nothing, you know what I mean? And I, I know they were mapping it out, and your boy, Everest, from Wales, who was doing the geographical mapping out for that Indian company, for the army and all, for even them boys to be there. That's yeah. what it's named on that Welsh fella. Everson. I know the locals call it Chumalama, which I like to call it too, but um it must be amazing. For them actually to call it, it was Pig fifteen or something or twenty five when he was marking it down. It's only the boy that was after him that decided to name it after your boy from Wales. But you say you know when you're coming down and remember this is they call it the big sleep and this is where you see a lot of bodies. So the third body, the fourth body I came across, just lying there, just still. And you go, they're there for a reason. But I remember coming down, made the summit, satellite phone, rang my wee ma, rang everybody, we're on the summit, well, all the rest, and everybody knows that's good enough. And now the hard part's getting down because, and how I would explain it is, you've done your marathon. You've done three marathons back to back. And now you've jumped in a car and you're driving home and you're on the motorway and it's a big long way and you don't even have to think. And next thing you put the eyes down and you just want to sleep 
and every now and again the rumble well you know the rumble of the yeah. left hand side waking shop or a lorry fucking whizzes past you on the motorway and you go holy shit and you near lose control that's what it's like the adrenaline's all gone as well. it's all gone the excitement's gone thing and you've pumped yourself up that you feel the tiredness you feel the car and you just want to sleep and that's all i want to do and i remember Going down, pack it, third step, went round it, grabbed the rope, didn't back, clipping it on, fucking being stupid. Got to the top of the second step, didn't back, clipping in for abseiling, just grabbed it, went hand over hand. And lucky enough, I had I had a, a bit of a sling that was clipping in, clipping in, and all I did is clipping into a bit of old rope, and I'd clip into that and put a hand on that, and I fucking slipped on the second part of the second step. And then you're fucking lost. Awesome. I remember just coming round. And the last minute, I just wrapped the rope around my arms and it just, or else I would have been away. And I sort of woke myself and went, holy fuck, come on, come on. And, you know, really yeah. talking to myself. And I realised that I had run out of action and I was being, you know, do-do-da-da. And I remember getting up and then I saw fathers. Now, now this is the funny part. I saw fathers and I actually thought, that I had fallen off the mountain and I'm ascending up to heaven or whatever it is because there's feathers lifting me up. And I have this in my head and I remember sitting on a rock going, you know, this is out of the body experience. No way. Yeah. And that's where it was. It was out of the body experience because of the lack of oxygen and food and all the rest that I was looking down at my sack going, there's me, fucking must have fallen, you dopey bastard. Blah, blah. Talking away, you stupid, you know, I should have held on and all the fires and then I remember sort of going like that and I could feel it and went well you know I sort of woke myself out of half asleep half a dream state and I remember getting up and then just walking in the next wee bit of rock and sitting down again I went well I didn't fall and next minute all the fires come out and then I realised and I started busting out laughing that the down suit had ripped my down, you know, um, overtrice had ripped and all the down and feathers were flying everywhere. That's where I thought... It's all angels. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I laughed at myself. And I laughed. the reason why I became the third person, as in, imagine somebody was filming me now, laughing at myself, realising, look at that plonker, he actually thought he fell. And it was only fucking... He ripped the, the, the arse out of his down fucking... Uh, trousers and all the feathers are all over the place they are and i had a great laugh to myself and giggling away and people were saying if they ever came across what the fuck's he laughing at so maybe it helped your body too like it did happen? it's sort of like you know better don't take yourself too serious type of thing going yeah this is class and i couldn't <laughs> wait and then i was going i was thinking to myself should i tell people about this nah keep it quiet and i did keep it quiet for a while now i have to tell you this uh, you have to, you can't take yourself too serious, mm. you know, I'm going, you wouldn't believe what I actually thought that I fucking slept. And the then lack of oxygen, food, fatigue. You that's know, it, you yeah. People doing these long, huge ultra events, like, and they're the same, they're hallucinating all the yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and you do, yeah, and you do become the, the, the third person looking down at yourself. And I remember scrambling down and then the further I get down, I felt that wee bit bad and a wee bit wet and a wee bit, and I remember getting the camp three fucking... Jamie McGuinness in my tent and I, and I put my that's my tent and I remember going down getting ice right out the fuck I'm taking that tent 
I'm not staying here tonight. I realise that way above 8,000 mm-hmm. metres, I couldn't spend any more time um, at 8,000 metres. That was an important decision. Like. I says, I'm taking the tent down, I'm going to camp too. And he looked at me, I says, so get the fuck out or else I'll fucking roll you off the fucking mountain. And that's it. And I went, right, right, right. No, I'll give you a hand. And he was trying to be nice to me. Yeah. And every now and again, I was quiet then, you know, and saying, he says, well, that was a major achievement. Oh my God, blah, blah, blah. And he was, he was caressing my ego at that mm. stage. And, and I says, I'll never do that to anybody in my life, even if I didn't like them. I would never put them down that way. And, and, and the kids that I work with now, you know, I have two jobs, I work for Juvenile Justice and Doc, and tell people, the hurting the tortoise comes into my head right away, that about being on your fucking knees and about lifting yourself and dusting yourself off, and you can make it, and find your full potential, even at a late stage in your life. You know, you might have, mightn't have found it, you might find it when you're in your 40s. You know, when people in the 30s, rather than... People say, oh, you, you'll get it when you're 16 cent. Maybe it might not mm. happen then. You know, so all them wee crashes were in my head. You know, I remember putting the tent in. Then I got down the camp and I felt really better. You know, and I felt I had the whole mountain. Was, I went, I spent near seven weeks in this mountain and I could have, I could have done it in, in a day because going down, I was bouncing down and sliding down sideways and going the arse part of the time and... And he was away in the day. Oh, fuck, he, he was still sucking out. And I felt super. Yeah. I was back to my old self, you know that? And um, remember the rucksack in my rucksack. Got the camp too. Got me our tent. So I had three tents in the fucking back. And felt fucking got down. And I remember bouncing down, album down, all the things. I felt the legs sharp as fuck. And when I got down, I was radioing down to the camp. And the way there was a mess boy at the thing, you know, and, oh, you must come down right away. Chinese, yeah, it is now. I'm not happy. Everybody ho- away home, and everybody, all the expeditions have left, and the weather's coming, and the wind, and you can see the clouds coming in that night, and we got into that uh, fans base camp, and I was going to stay the night, and, and everything was gone, and we were still waiting McGuinness, and the, they said, no, they're going to keep a yak and two porters, for him, because the Chinese Asian officer officers, I have to, he had to sign me off to get off the mountain, so he could get home, and he was afraid that there's a pass that you go over, and if you get caught in the pass, you're there, it's a big walk out, and uh, I remember then, getting down, and all the wee sherpas that were still left, were in a row, and they made a kick, summit, S-U-M-I-T, or something like that, on it. I, I still have a photograph of it, Sherpa's made me that kick. Wow. Going, alright Sherpa. Because the all that you know, because I was the one with no shirt, no nothing, did it all ourselves. Um, they're all high family and then go, Oh, and then I couldn't even enjoy it because I was taking off the boots and then still kick them on because we're walking twenty more twenty after me getting all the way down that night, walking through the night to advance base camp. The only good thing or the base camp, the only good thing is I knew McGinnis had it wasn't the same sort of you know, he was worse yeah. off than me. And they would say they're going to stick him on top of a yak. And then, <laughs> you know, I used to say, you can stick him on anywhere. I can give a fuck at this stage. And I remember coming down that morning then, and he had Cheney, oh, ah, stop your crying. And he was saying, I had to sign this thing. And he was waiting on McGinnis. And I went, well, I'm ready to go. And then he go. And then he put me in. Because I didn't want to talk to McGinnis. I 
he, he, there was a four by four and he put me on it and I just I was just high fan everybody it was just class you know yeah. and then um, I remember driving and putting the head there and feeling that you know sad, yes sad, it's the first time really I achieved anything in my life you know what I mean it wasn't great at any other type of sports but I thought I was going to be a great box didn't hit great box any sport I tried it in my head thought it was going to be the best I could but this was it this was the crying you know it was class you know and that wee lifelong dream I think it's because all the ones you'll never do it see even before I left nearly people and I certain nearly people begrudging you know in America I remember when I was in America if you do well every high five well done no. here yeah. if you do well you're fighting the tax man or you're fucking up to no good you can't <laughs> say it well done um, but it's an amazing thing you can tell though like at the age of 14 you know I wanted make, that was my dream making that like and there's something inside you yes your navigation internal navigation system was directing you on that path and having that much belief about it you know you can tell yeah. that pulled you up that mountain that's it and I I tell people now don't get me wrong I had doubted myself and like there was a lot of things like uh, Albert Faro says Oh, I didn't have a wee cry to myself and a wee bit of a tapering and, you know, you fight with the pillow, I should have done this, I should have done that and, you know, the wrong moves and the right moves and all and, oh, maybe it's not going to happen. A load of times, sort of, it's never going to happen. And then it just turns round and a wee bit of luck, a lot of, you know, people say you need a wee bit of luck as well and a wee bit of playing the chess moves going, well, I'm glad I didn't go with them because I wasn't going to go that time on it because the weather was too cold and I told the boys fuck I would wait it back now oh, that's very selfish you just want to wait until you're ready and I said well I wouldn't go because it's going to be high winds you can't do it but it's going to be really cold and it all worked out you know a wee bit of strategy as well you know you need that too and a wee bit of luck And but you need that see that wee thing inside a wee bit of self belief I told you I still believe in myself I think I get that from my ma or something, just, you know, at being told at 11, you're a failure for 11 plus, and then teachers going, you're never going to make anything in your life, and then getting a degree, and then, oh, you'll not do this there, and then working, doing outdoor education, and so, I'll tell you good, in Pakistan, my, I know Everest was a thing, my best days were actually climbing K2, even though I didn't summit in 100, what was it, 75 metres from the summit, and everybody, the avalanche people were killed there beside me. 75 metres. Yeah, from the summit and then the avalanche and the boys were killed beside me. Apart from that, we Muslim lad boy, I've never met more clever people. Way out in the sticks, we man, we were sitting in a wee village outside Skardu, having the crack. It was a my second time on going to K2 and having the chat and we're talking about making money and Oh, big Murray, I says, hey, not a big Murray, I'm from Ireland. We man told me a wee problem, you know, we, I like wee stories. And it's a story of your fisherman. He says, a rich man came into their village and said, this guy used to have a lovely wee cottage right beside the river, uh, way up in Hindu Kush. And he lived there and his Shangri-La, well, you know, all the lovely fire and there was the the blossoms in the springtime and the thing. And it was a gorgeous place. And then this rich man comes up and sees him and says, 
hey, you know what you want to do? You want to have, instead of you catching just three fish for the day and eating your lot, you could actually catch ten fish. And then with them ah, bits of five or six fish, you could sell that. Then what would it do, the wee man says. Then, after a while, you could build it up and get some of our people and they could fish for you. And you wouldn't even have to fish. And then, and then it goes on and on. And then you would get a boat. And then what it do, then you get a bigger boat. And then you get more, a bigger, and then you get a fleet and then a thing. And blah, blah, blah. So it goes through this here. It goes on for about half an hour. I went, right. I says, right, what's the point? She says, my friend, my friend. Once you have the fleet and all, then the rich man says, then the poor man says, the rich man, the man who's at the side of it, then would you, then you would, you could retire and lay beside the river and catch as much fish you want and wandering. And he says, I'm doing that now. So I must be the richest man in the world because he's no worries. Mm-hmm. He, he says, and what would that achieve? Oh, then you could lay back in a big march and all the rest. And he was saying, well, you can only be in one set of shoes at a time, in one bed, and I have only one roof over your head per night, plus the things that you want in life, you don't have to worry, because worry kills people. You know, this modern day of thing called stress, which you don't have away in the Himalaya Kush. And he went, so we are rich. And I went, that's class. You know what? See you here not away long. I went, I'm happy with my lot. Just looking there, you have a piece of marble. Hey, believe in yourself, follow your dreams, Banjo Bannon. So that's that's the monument. So that's the baby monument yeah, of things. So I'd say to people, people say to me, so what are you going to say to people when you come back? Because I didn't realise there was going to be a big fan for and the whole nine yards and getting a, a laurel reef wrap row around me and went. It's like fucking winning the Grand Prix and somebody having me a big champagne bottle and never had my life and blowing it around people and going, woo, class. And <laughs> I was like, I didn't do it for that, you know. Yeah. I did it for myself, just purely selfish. Yeah. For me, my challenge myself. And was always climbing around the world. I just wanted to challenge. So all this new thing came about. And people say, right, people's going to be asking you. And at the start, I went, no, I don't want all that. And then people were saying, no, people are going to be looking up to you. And... It's not about you. But there's our kids that's in big housing estates or from shitty homes and that's that. What would you say that they, they think that there's no way out bar drugs or this or that? And then that's when I went, I followed the dream. I had inspiration and aspiration from a young age. And then I realised everybody's got their own Everest. That's the first thing I said and the boy was quoting, you know, the way you say it and then people write it down. The big thing, everybody has their own Everest, their own mountain to climb. Maybe it'd be a bereavement to get over, a disablement, or maybe they just want to collect fucking stamps. You know what I mean? But it's their wee dream. So never knock it. And the big thing is, never look down on anybody unless you're giving them a hand up. See, when you're down, I realised, when you're down, people just want to kick you when you're on the ground. So you say to yourself, be happy with your lot. Follow her dreams. And the big thing is, believe in yourself. People, there's loads of people put you down and begrudge you and this and that. You know what? How you judge a man, it's like they say, it's not in times of convenience and comfort. It's when 
the shit's hit the fan and you have to deal with that and that's when you know the true person then. And you need all that there, yeah. you know? Lift your spirit. Banjo, thanks very much. Sorry for keeping you so long. No, not away. at all. Wow, absolutely loved listening to how Banjo started with a dream at the age of 14. And although he faced obstacle after obstacle, he still managed to realise his childhood ambitions. As Banjo pointed out, everyone has their own Everest. I'm glad I can look back over the last few years and identify those specific moments in my life where I've reached my own summits. Hope you enjoyed this double feature. Set goals, believe in yourself, and no matter what obstacles you face, just find a way. Until next week, stay safe and keep on moving.